Hey everyone, welcome to Decipher the Media. On this episode, we have Alex Casson, who is a filmmaker who works in Pittsburgh. Um, he has uh, been on many projects, worked in the industry for many years. His experience in the field includes work as a producer, a writer, an assistant director, director, and uh, work in the art department. It is a very um, informative conversation. Uh, we sat down and talked a lot about his experiences, what it's like um, to make creative decisions um, in the various roles in filmmaking and and how to develop a project from beginning to end and get it out there for the world to see developing it with your own voice in mind and developing for the goal of ultimately deciding what audience you have in mind for a film so a very interesting conversation, very educational conversation. I was very happy to have him on to talk film and to really just learn a lot from him. So, as I said, this is Alex Casson, um, and enjoy the latest episode of the Decipher the Media podcast. Cool. Um yeah, so why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Uh, my name's Alex Casson. I'm here with uh, Indie Ground Films. Cool. Um, and uh, what are you here for today? Are you here to promote any projects? Uh, no, mostly just uh, kind of talk and meet other filmmakers and meet people who, who do things cool. in town. I do always have projects on the run, so I'm, I'll probably mention a couple as we go. All right, cool. Yeah, um, have you what have you been working on like recently or actually what do you do like particularly in on film sets um it uh i've gotten to the point in my life that i just want to make movies with friends and it has gotten to be that if anybody needs me as an ad they'll give me a call i prefer yeah. producing okay um so if you want me as a producer i think try to get me on as early as possible in your project cool um, and then i direct my own things i do a lot of art department as well yeah how did you uh get started like what what area did you get started in um well when i i always knew i wanted to be a writer and director and uh my first jobs were actually in camera department on reality tv shows mm -hmm. and uh just immediately i hated it and i wasn't gonna go anywhere with it <laughs> uh not just the medium of you know reality tv but yeah i'm not a tech person at all i can't i'm weirdly left-handed can't over under cables i just knew i wasn't going to make it very far in camera yeah um but then the same company that hired me for the, those cu first couple jobs put me in the art department and i love that cool um, and then yeah i spent a while kind of jumping between being um i was living in la and i spent about 10 years jumping in between being a production designer on low budget kind of uh less than million dollar sci-fi actiony films and then doing post-production work for reality tv oh that's really cool um what was the industry like like in like was so this was like 10 years ago you were in la or uh it was 10 years ago that i left la 10 so years was, ago you left la yeah what when did you start in la would you say um i moved to southern california in 
I'm going to date myself a little bit, but in 99. Okay. Um, and then kind of, I think my first job, like it, specifically like TV related job was in 2003, maybe. Okay, cool. Uh, and then I think 2005 is when I, I went to LA specifically. So I kind of jumped around to a few different cities outside LA. For yeah. A while. Yeah. That's kind of like what I did around Pittsburgh until I finally was dead center in it. Yeah. Um, what uh what was the industry like back then like was it different than it is now um i'm not the right guy to ask i don't really know what it is now okay so, um so it's hard for me to place it uh, well i mean compared to like how you do things now here i guess I should gotcha. say. well i think that there's been a huge kind of seismic change in terms of the affordability of equipment the um you know the way people watch movies and watch right. tv um, so there's just so much more content out there and it's so much easier to make content and, and, um, I mean, don't ask me how you get funded to get it or get anybody <laughs> on your side to watch right. things. But in terms of, you know, in theory, how it's supposed to work, you can make things for really cheap now and there's avenues to view them that didn't exist 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like when I, when I was first making films, nobody made short films, like short films were not a thing. Yeah. Uh, and I never thought in terms of short films, like my my features are generally i have a an idea i've got interesting characters in my head and i have a goal to get to after 90 minutes and right. at 90 minutes i'll hit my mark but i couldn't do a five minute short film to save my life i mean yeah. i made one uh official short film everything else has been like 48 yeah. hour projects to kind of practice that hmm. but youtube didn't exist vimeo didn't exist that's true so it's like harder to sort of promote a short film and mm. the avenues yeah. back then basically yeah and it didn't make any sense cost wise to do it so anybody right. who was making a short film was doing it as a promo for a feature that they wanted to get funding okay for. and nobody would sit and watch a 15 minute short film let alone like a 30 minute short film which yeah. you know people love to make nowadays and I, I don't really understand were they still using film at that point like was film still a big thing yeah it was still a big thing um well yes but it was right on the cusp of like uh what was it like the panasonic dvx 100 yeah. or whatever it was right. and, and like that kind of changed everything yeah so like the game changer for like the digital era yeah so i think that was probably like 2004 2005 so that was right as i was getting serious about doing it as an actual job or working in an actual industry yeah so you were right when that transition was happening yeah so i'm sure that was probably kind of a bit of a learning curve yeah you. well when i went to i did go to school for a bit um kind of cashed out early and packed up and i grew up in utah and Okay. Um, went to school for a year, but they didn't have a film course there, so I took some like journalism course and did a bunch of like, uh, um, you know, sports and event filming. Yeah. And, and editing courses, which was a lot of fun. But we were editing on film, which was great. Yeah, yeah. That, that was a lot of fun. Um, but then that was basically the only thing I did on film. Um, after that, I think it was I moved to London and I did a short film out there that I was an AD on that was shot on 16 millimeter, which was a ton of fun. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, you're doing it for fun now rather than that's the way you make. Films. Right. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a, it seems like a, I haven't done it myself, but it seems like it'd be a tougher process because mm. there's just not so much room for error. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a big fan of room for error. <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> yeah. my style. Yeah. Yeah. So when that revolution kind of happened, that was mm. probably, you know, something that's, really helped you out there yeah um well i wasn't making a whole lot of my own personal projects before oh, true, yeah. yeah um but yeah there's a uh i got a, sent a link the other day to 
I can't remember the name of the competition. Straight eight, I think it's called. Okay. Straight. It's um, eight millimeter film competition. Oh yeah, yeah. I just got one from, or I think I got that sent to from Kevin. From Kevin, Dean. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely down. I think the it sounds fun. Um, I've got some ideas in my head on on shorts to do, but it's just really tricky. I'm not. I don't really write yeah. short films. I talked to a guy at uh, a cafe not too long ago who. He was just carrying around a um, like a Super 8 camera, mm. um, and he was just like telling me all the the great projects that he's done with it. And then he highly recommends if I've never done like shot on like Super 8 film before that mm. I should do it. And yeah, so I was. Well, I think their tricky thing, which and I, I really like challenges, which is one of the reasons I kind of gravitate towards 48 hour film festivals and things. Yeah. Um, but the challenge with this particular competition is that you have one roll of film, you have about three minutes and 10 seconds, um, and you have to send in the undeveloped project to them. They develop it on their end. So you can send a separate like audio file, right? but you can't sync them up yourself. So they screen them and they're synced for the first time ever. Um, so it's a really interesting kind of, uh, setup. And I like that as a challenge and and trying to figure out ways on, on how do you go and film, or shoot a movie in a in a way that you're not gonna actually like hear the audio to it properly. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, I would totally jump on board this if I had an idea that worked for me. Right. Uh, right. But I haven't been able to figure anything out. What is um like? How does your ideas like as a producer, or um, you know how how do they affect or how does the like the tools you have available to you affect how you think of it as like when you're producing a film? Um, that's a very good question. Um, well, I generally, so producing is one of two things for me. Either somebody comes up to me and they have an idea or they have a script or they're halfway done in, you know, production and they, they need help and and whatnot. At that point, it's kind of out of my hands. I'm like, all right, well, what, what are you trying to accomplish and how can we make this work? Yeah. Um, and then the other side is I stopped calling myself a writer a long time ago. I'm, I'm not the type of person that can redraft or come at, come at a, a scene from a different angle. And like once it's kind of locked in my head, it, it's stuck there. Yeah. Um, so I stopped calling myself a writer and now I focus more on quote unquote story development. Okay. And, um, you know, whether I get anything actually written or not is, is different, but, Um, I don't know how, I don't think of technology in terms of, uh, like, I guess I don't think about technology while I'm writing or trying to develop a story. Yeah. Um, but in terms of producing, I really like to, uh, well, I guess going back a little bit, um, I did a couple feature films. So earlier this year, or I guess 2019, since we're in 2020 now, uh, my feature film called the buskers and Lou was released and we filmed that I, I left LA kind of moved around for a little bit and ended up in Portland, uh, Oregon, which is where I thought I was going to stay forever until I got married to a Brit and kind of dragged out of the country, um, <laughs> which it was great. Great experience. Loved it. Yeah. Um, but like it took me forever to finish a film. So I got back to Pittsburgh, got settled in, found, you know, a network of people to help me finish it off. Um, right. It was non-scripted. It was just running around Portland trying to have fun with some people and make a movie oh, okay. and, yeah. and just kind of enjoy it. The, the process of making a film yeah that's cool yeah so if you give me a, a challenge like that i'm i think that kind of spurs creativity so if you tell me what the boundaries are of a project that's where i can work really well 
Okay. Whereas if you just like give me a piece of paper and say, all right, let's go make a movie. Yeah. Oftentimes constraints can really help you like generate ideas a lot better than if you like, you just have a wide open, like say, you know, metaphorical space to work with where there's really no limitations at all. Um, and you have whatever you can to work with it. It just, it's hard because it's just, you know, then nobody can really decide on anything based Mm. on that sort of, yeah, I feel like, um, I don't have a good enough imagination to just stare at a piece of paper and come up with a whole new world or a whole new life. Right. Like that's just, I don't care. Yeah. Uh, Or that's not the way my brain works. And if I wanted to do that, I'd probably just be a novelist rather than a screenwriter. Right. Right. So yeah. World building is definitely tough. Yeah. I mean, I like, I, I do enjoy the process of world building. I just don't like the idea of kind of sitting down and like come up with an entire new, like give me something to work with. Like come up to me and say like, uh, I'm an actor and I want to work with you. Let's develop a character around like my strengths or whatever. I'm like, I can work with that. Yeah. Um, but if you just said, okay, pitch me a story. I'm just like, I don't know. I've got millions. I don't know what to do. Options paralysis. Like I just want to yeah. sit and do nothing. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, you, I don't know. You know, I have to know something about what you want or, mm. you know, the, the or what are we going to do with it? Or, you know, like yeah. one of the big questions, like, uh, you know, I, it took me a long time to learn this, but, you have to think about your audience from day one. Like, don't um, don't wait until you've got a film in the can and then, like, go, okay, well, now what am I going to do with it? Yeah. So if you know that you want your film to be film festival, you know, like a festival project, then you kind of create it in one way. Um, if you know you want it to be a YouTube project, you create it a different way. And it's probably, like, hmm. slight variations on, on, the, on the thing, but it makes you, knowing what your end goal is, is going to, inform all the decisions you make to get to that end goal right um for example i I did a short film called closure that um i just got done saying i don't do short films but i've literally done one short film in like 15 years (laughs) uh and that is um just i had an idea i was watching a tv show um called the fall with jillian anderson okay and uh you know really good show she's you know in ireland she's a cop kind of following a serial killer and there was just uh, something about the situation of the character that struck me as a really good idea for a short film. Oh, yeah. Completely separate from, like, I try not to steal too much, but, um, you know, the setup of this cop talking to this person in this setting. Um, yeah. So I wrote the short film. It was like five minutes long. We wanted to keep it as short as we can get it. Uh, went out and filmed it on the weekend. Um, but all that entire time, I just wanted to get it out to a few, like, horror film festivals, make it, you know, a, a fun little gory thriller. Yeah. Um, and that's it you know i knew i didn't really like i don't know what i want to do with it afterwards i'm going to put it up on youtube i guess and and have it out there but it was just intended to get into a couple of horror film festivals and and it's done its job and i'm really happy with it yeah that's awesome yeah i just yeah we uh actually just got done with one of my feature films and like a film circuit not too long ago and now they're putting it up on streaming which is pretty cool what one's that uh body farm oh is that yours yeah i was the uh well, I was a DP on it. It's not really mine. Gotcha. But... I saw the big posters we came in. And yeah. I've seen uh, all sorts of press about it. On, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know who was actually like the creatives involved with it. So, yeah, well, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. So that was like probably the biggest project I've worked on to date. Mm. But um, yeah, it was interesting to see it kind of go through all the, uh, yeah, the, the film circuits and all that. Mm. So I wasn't really involved with it too much like after the fact but it was still cool to kind of follow it on social media and mm. stuff um 
how much um like say from a producer's perspective while we're on the subject um would you say you get involved with like you know getting the the film promoted or getting it out there um that is a good question so i i've always wanted to be a director but i didn't know i wanted to be a producer until i started producing okay but i never went through i didn't do film school um i moved around a lot so every time i moved to a new city i'm kind of building a new network of people and you kind of meet people that you see eye to eye on creatively or you see eye to eye on on uh, the type of films you love and things like that and i have kind of a um i don't feel i'm much of a, a movie snob but i do feel like i have my particular things i gravitate towards and there's certain things that kind of turn me off so i think i have a hard time meeting people that want me to produce for them okay um and i find that the more i produce the more i kind of as it should be but the more i'm learning and i've I've been going one, not deliberately on purpose, but like one step at a time. So I learned how like literally to get a film in the can, like it's done, we finished it. And then I had to learn how to actually like get it completed and delivered. And then now I want to get it to where I'm actually making money off it. Right. So like the, the idea of press is something that, and this goes back to something I was talking about earlier, is that you need to know what your end goal is from the get go. So you should be thinking about press from day one. Like as soon right. as that script is, you know, in the hands of an AD and you're breaking it down or it's in the hands of a production manager and you're getting things ready to, to, to move forward, right. um, you need to be thinking about press. You need to be thinking about poster design. Get, well, how's your trailer going to look? What's the feel you're going for? And yeah. that's all stuff that I've gone through now, the trouble of making two feature films. And my next one, I'm like, well, now I'm going to approach it completely yeah. differently because of that. <laughs> so... I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that um, definitely helps out. What's been your more of your focus lately? Has it been more producing or directing? Um, I think I'm a producer who directs every once in a while, or okay. I'm, a, I'm a story guy who tries to figure out how to get them made. Okay. Um, so right. Yeah. Yeah, and I I love directing. I love getting behind camera and getting out there and working with actors and thinking about colors and and everything else and how to tell your story, but I feel like there's a big chunk of me that directing is just a bridge between sitting alone in my room and writing and sitting alone in my room editing. Yeah. I feel like production is just a bridge to get me to these things that I'm a bit more comfortable in. Okay. Um, but the more I do it, the more I enjoy it. And uh, 48s have been been a lot of fun. We've had success with them. Uh, I've done like three of them in the last two years, um, and they've they've all been uh, they've all been fun. Um, I don't know if you can hear the cats in the background. Yeah. They're having fun. Yeah, sounds um, like it. But, uh, yeah, it's it's taught me a lot of, you know, interesting lessons about what works and what doesn't in a pinch and when you have to, like, just make something happen. Um, yeah. You know. How does, um, like, your experience as a storyteller or a director um, help you as a producer? Like, how do they translate between, you know, each side of that uh, coin. Uh, well, I do find myself um, answering questions a lot where I'm like, well, my producer brain says this, but I understand what you're trying to get out of the scene or what you want out of, you know, the script or whatever. Um, but I think good filmmakers in town, especially, so I come from a very, very indie DIY background. Like I love little $5,000 films. Yeah. Like, um, there's some memes going around on Facebook about, 
uh, watching people's like student films and what it's like. And I'm like, I love people's students film. Like those are, yeah. you know, like those are people out there just trying to make something happen. Right. Absolutely. Um, and so to me, if you can be honest about what your parameters are and like what you're trying to accomplish and, and mm. whatnot, then, then you can make decisions that make that film better. Uh, right. Where you're like, well, we can't have 20 background extras right now, or we can't have a horse in the scene. Like, we've got to come out. And that's natural producer brain, but I also feel like that's, you know, like, it's important to be a storyteller when you're making these decisions. Right, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like I, I kind of gravitate towards, like, how to, does, like, when I'm writing, I think about how do things, um, you know, how will that translate to you know, a shot on screen or like, mm. a, you know, how the shots will look in a scene because I also do sort of a, a good bit of camera stuff as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of cool to kind of be in multiple areas of expertise because then you can, you kind of translate that knowledge from one place to the next yeah. to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's some compartmentalizing that takes place as well where I've, I've gotten better at. Uh, so right now I'm kind of, shopping around or getting ready to shop around a pilot that I wrote that I'm a big fan of. I think, you know, I think it's really interesting setup. Um, I want to film it here in Pittsburgh, but it's not like the advice I've been given is like, just go out and find the money and shoot the pilot. I'm like, well, (laughs) uh, the whole story is about this, um, this community organizer has died and there's a bit of mysterious circumstances behind his death. It's called The Wake. The whole story takes place at his funeral and The Wake afterwards. Mm. We need to see a wide variety of characters, and uh, it's important for them to be in the scene. So if this is being shopped around to like HBO or Netflix, hopefully at some point in time, um, they're going to want to just reshoot it anyway. So I don't see a reason to try to like cobble together enough money to hire professional actors in order to shoot this big pilot, right. knowing that that wouldn't ever be on any like anything like it, it just would be refunded and they would want like denzel washington or whatever like they're yeah. not gonna want like local actors uh, if you're doing a big netflix thing or hbo thing right um so trying to um you know i'm taking myself out of that as a director and producer at the moment and just focusing on story because i'm not going to have the funds to produce it at least not right away. And right. Uh, so I don't, I'm trying not to like limit myself from a writing standpoint because I don't have the ability to produce it. Whereas most things, like if I, I've wrote another feature that's just like literally three friends in a cabin who show up to like the world's worst reunion, uh, like 20 years after high school or whatever. Uh, and it's three people in a cabin. Like I can go out and shoot that in a week for like 10 grand. So it's hmm. nice to have that in my back pocket, but I was aware of, I would probably be producing and directing this as I'm writing it, so I wrote it to kind of tailor towards my strength. Yeah. How much of a influence do you think that has when you shop around a project, like, based on... Well, I guess it has a lot of influence, but, like... Well, I wouldn't write, like... Um, like, I'm a sci-fi fan. I like um, sci-fi movies. I like action movies yeah. and, like, Marvel films. I would never write... Uh, a comic booky style like MCU movie with the intention of self-producing because yeah. it would just bomb. Like, True. I think Chronicle was a really good film that did that, but it was still you know a decent sized budget for it, mm-hmm. and it was written by somebody that people knew, so he was right. able to get get the funding for it. 
Um, whereas if I'm doing it, it's just not going to go anywhere. It's going to look like somebody made it in their backyard. So, yeah, one of the first projects I did when I moved to Pittsburgh um, was this like sci-fi like series, and it was just like the the guy who was producing it basically made all the props himself, mm. and it was just like it was so crazy and low budget looking, and we were shooting it on like a Canon T2I, and mm. I was just like <laughs> that's what I shot in the my feature of, with. I'm just, yeah, yeah, it's just, I mean, they're good cameras, don't get me wrong for what they are, but, like, like but I yeah, know, it's, it's just like, I'm yeah. like, oh, this project's probably not going to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, and it's one of those things, like, if, if you have a certain style or a certain, um, a certain flair to your work, low-budget B-movies can be successful to some degree. True. Um, not quite the type of movies I make, but, you know, like there's an audience out there it's the same thing with like horror films like you can uh you can get away with a lot like you you still have to be innovative and resourceful but you can do low budget and there's going to be audiences for it out there um, yeah you know not every genre is like that and um not every storyteller is like that like i uh, i know a lot of people who can sit in their basement and make really cool looking sci-fi effects and props and things like that and they're going to look great on camera but i don't have the ability to do that so so i definitely don't write them into my scripts so how do you think like badly like just really low budget movies like say for example i don't know birdemic or something like that how how what do you think makes those like work so well where people just i couldn't tell you i've like, never really seen it it's not, to yeah it. I mean, and no. again not trying to like be a film snob or anything like that oh, okay. like it's just not my yeah it's just it's really a terrible movie that's just it's so yeah. bad that but i mean it was it designed to be bad to get an audience and there's a lot of movies out there i don't know if that one specifically is but there's a lot of movies that are designed to be terrible because people love terrible movies that's true so i do not think audience this one was designed to be terrible i think it was intentionally yeah. like they were trying but well my favorite quote <laughs> i try to try to live by this is i might not like your painting but i love that you paint and that's yeah. kind of the way i approach right other people's stuff so i would help people make their their movie even if it's something i think is going to be absolute yeah. trash if it's, i trust the person or if i think you know they're going at it for the right reasons right it's just like it's so weird that certain things you wouldn't think would have that sort of appeal because yeah. they're so simply made hmm. like all of a sudden become so big yeah that's just but yeah i mean there's the funny thing is like there's an audience for everything if, if yeah. you can be like, if you're so bad, you're good. There's going to be an audience for it. Or if you're so unique. Like, um, there's a movie called Rubber, which is about a tire that goes on a killing spree. And, like, <laughs> it's really fun. Like, it's a yeah. really fun movie. But it's only really fun because it's really, really well produced. Yeah, so, that's a, yeah. Um, another horror, horror low-budget horror movie I saw not too long ago called Thanks Killing. That was just yeah. uh, a turkey puppet going around, like, murdering people. Yeah. And it was there's just the an most, audience for it. Yeah, yeah you know, most like ridiculous thing ever. Yeah, well, people like to be amused while while they're yeah. watching movies. But yeah, my my sensibilities are a bit more serious. Yeah, but you know. would would you say you aim to like? Is there a certain audience you always aim for, or is it always like change up? Uh, no. Well, like I say, I I haven't really thought. This goes into the press conversation and the marketability conversation, I guess, yeah. a little bit. Is that knowing who your audience is? when you go into it, it helps you kind of play up one way or another towards that 
Whereas I just, my features have been things that I've made for myself or I made with my friends for our own personal reasons. Right. Where we didn't even think about who was going to watch this at the end. And the first one, no one's going to watch because the sound was so bad on it. Oof. Uh, Whereas the second one, it's out. You can go find it on Amazon and iTunes and Google Play and all that. Awesome. So at least that was a success. But I didn't really think, other than we wanted to do festivals, I didn't think on actually who would want to watch this movie. Uh, whereas I probably would have done a bit more marketing with like, uh, you know, millennial cyclists and uh, <laughs> hipsters and uh, you yeah. know, socialists and my kind of people. Who do you think like they hit with the, like after the fact? Like I, I would love to know. Um, so my conversation I had with the distribution company, it should have, there should have been a bit of a red flag. Um, but we had an initial chat and it all sounded good and it wasn't like there was a bunch of companies vying for my movie. There was a couple that were interested in it. And, um, yeah, I went with this company random media because I had seen a couple films that they had distributed and I liked those movies. So I'm like, okay, I, you know, I can trust that. Um, but then I had a conversation with the guy who runs the company and he straight up told me, he's like, yeah, I watched your movie and I, I didn't get it and I didn't want to, say yes to it but then my grandson talked me into it and i'm like okay well your grandson is great uh and that's the audience that i'm going for um so yeah it's it's a movie about people kind of on the outskirts who are trying to figure out how to live and work in this kind of unforgiving capitalist society that we live in Mm. uh and you know it's this guy who made some mistakes he was in jail for a while he gets out of that and he's trying to like get his first proper job and live in an apartment by himself for the first time in his life and like get a cell phone for the first time in his life and he just doesn't connect with it at all and he figures it out more or less by the end with his friends and cool yeah so whoever would find that interesting that you should go check it out what would you uh find like most of your projects do you have those up on like your website or um yeah i just redid my website and i just uh worked with actually i think he was your last guest Ian ian altenbaugh yeah, um, I've just, had him on twice already, I think. Cool, yeah, I couldn't remember if he was your last one or the one, a couple ones before that, but he just finished uh, editing my demo reel. We knew it was going to oh, be a cool. uh, pain in the ass. It was basically trying to connect, like, find connective tissue between these two no-budget, low-production-value improvised dramas hmm. and a handful of, like, really glossy genre shorts, and some of them are pretty gory. So, like, what is... How do you connect that in a demo reel? And I think he did a really good job. But you can find all that at alexcassonfilms.com. Cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, like I say, Buskers and Lou you can find on, you know, most streaming places. If you've got Verizon, Fios, and, yeah, uh, you know, Xfinity and all that. Cool. Well, the, the, from a producer standpoint, I guess, with the most recent one, it's this uh, pilot called The Wake... Uh, I'm sort of, I'm terrible at remembering pitches and things, but I wrote a really good log, log line with it. Um, but the general idea is the fugitive meets the wire, and it's just this kid gets out of jail for 24 hours to go to his best friend's funeral. Like, somebody's pulling the strings to get him out. Somebody gets killed, he goes on the run, and now he's trying to figure out what happened with his friend and also try to make sure he doesn't go to jail for something he didn't do. So, story-wise, I would came up with the idea a long time ago had a massive like just absolutely massive amount of plot that i've got um notes and like napkins written everywhere i can find 
Um, but from a producer standpoint, I've had to really kind of rein it in and just focus on making the pilot as good as I can get it rather than my writer instincts is to write the whole thing. I just want to story beat out the entire thing and I want to get it all together and, and just have this massive amount of work that will probably go nowhere or get changed quite a bit and, <laughs> and it'll all be a waste of time. But um, from a producer standpoint, it's like, I'm like, I now have a thing and now how do I go and get that thing out there? Yeah. And so that's what I'm working on now is like figuring out how to get it out there. Cool. Yeah, and I just thought of what I was going to ask you as you were like doing that. Um, the because uh, it sounds like there's maybe a bit of um, like a social influence on the type of movies that you do. How much of that like do you draw from like your experiences or, um, uh, you know, yeah, you, either as like a producer or a director or even a writer, you know, yeah, any of those. Um, probably quite a bit. I think. Um, I don't know if I can detach myself from my politics, and I think that that comes up in my stories quite a bit uh in terms of like are my films autobiographical um not really so my first movie that i i've made or completed anyway was this thing called hurricane emma and i'd i'd written a script it was very meaningful to me and it was about a truck driver a hitchhiker and a dog in an 18-wheel truck driving through the desert in the middle of the night and the whole thing takes place over like four or five hours uh, I know how I'd want to shoot it. I know who I'd want to cast in it. And, you know, I wrote this, you know, 15 years ago now. Um, but I wanted to throw the script out the window because I felt really strongly at the time, even with no, like, data, no backup, like, no no reason to kind of, like, know that this was true. But I just wanted to throw the script out and work with story beats and, and create characters and dialogue with the actors. And I had landed, like, somehow miraculously, I'd landed a line producer who liked the story and liked the script. Um, and she got me some meetings and I was 24, 25 years old and had no idea what meeting producers was meant to be or was meant to be like. Um, and they all bombed pretty miserably. And the third one, you know, like he sat me down at, oh God, Frank and Musos or whatever it's called. It's a really, it's in Tarantino's new movie. Oh, okay. uh, it's kind of, a, it's a famous restaurant in LA where people just go and, talk shop and things get made and so i'm like okay this is kind of big deal yeah he had just funded a million dollar short or like a million dollar uh, feature film that i was an art director on and so that's how i, I kind of got connected with him uh he sat down and he's like well what do you want i'm like i want 200 grand uh to just go out and shoot this myself throw the script out the window and and just make the movie that i want to make we want to submit it to sundance we want to kind of get it out in the world this way and he's like oh that's that's cute I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> He's like, here's what I want. I said, I want to make it for a million. And I'm like, all right, cool. Now we're talking. And he's like, I want Tommy Lee Jones as a truck driver. And I'm like, okay. I was thinking like Bob Balaban, like some, you know, like little indie guy that people know. But yeah, and I'm like, oh, great. If we can get Tommy Lee Jones for a million dollar feature, then great. We're doing something. Uh, and he's like, I want to cast my son as a hitchhiker. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, I, your son's the right age. He's got to look like, you know, like if we're throwing the script out the window, I can work with him. Um, and he's just like, I want to write flashbacks and a love story. And like, I want a friend of mine to direct it. And I want to give you like five grand for the script. And I'm like, I just, I had to walk away. Mm -hmm. And at that point I went home and I was living with a bunch of people. And uh, one of them was a really good actor. One of them was a cinematographer. I wanted to get into cinematography. We had friends who were actors and we just, we got fed up. And I like, I've never been a big fan of LA. My movies don't fit in there. My personality doesn't really fit in there. Yeah. And we're just like, fuck it. We're going to go make a movie. Like a month later, 
we had finished Hurricane Emma. We had no script. Like we we just took four actors, myself and my roommate, DP roommate, uh, and a friend of ours who was kind of funding it to give us twelve hundred bucks. And we're like, all right, oh, wow. let's go make a movie. Yeah. Uh, and we shot it like no script at all. We shot it in four and a half days, nineteen locations. I was working twenty two hour days. Like, yeah, it was obnoxious, but it was such a great like creative moment and i look back fondly on the movie if the sound guy had shown up the day that we were going to leave uh it would have been better but he didn't and so i'm like booming it producing it directing it writing the story in my head as we're going uh and it was a it was just fun and so from that um i did buskers and lou a couple years later and that was a lot more structured where we had written out more of a beat sheet and i had some dialogue on paper uh spent you know the course of three months kind of just picking up a scene here and there um, but it was mostly non-scripted um, okay. and in terms of it to actually answer your question 10 minutes later uh, <laughs> Hurricane Emma was drawn on experiences of mine but it was uh, it was not autobiographical but I knew the locations we were filming in I knew the kind yeah. of story of basically just somebody traveling home and, and reconnecting with friends and family and then Buskers and Lou like I was living in like living out of my van in LA for a while, just traveling around. I kind of converted it so I can live out of it and drive around the country. And that we took that angle of the story. Um, and then the job that he ended up getting doing like this terrible inventory control job where he goes to different stores and like counts shit all day long. That is a, a true to life thing. But then oh, wow. everything else was just kind of made up. Yeah. It was fun. That's cool. Um, yeah. what would you say? Like going back on like sort of like, you know the sort of influence or control that other people can have like on something that you're working on how much you know where do you find where do you meet in the middle for something Mm. like that oh great question i used to i used to feel like i um fell very much on the auteur side of things i was very much kind of david fincher everything is super controlled yeah you know exactly what you want you're not going to settle for anything less um, when I was writing, and I still love writing features and things that are like thrillers and suspenseful movies. So I feel like you need more control in order to get what you want. Right. Um, but what I've learned doing these two films that are basically just practice to, to get me to where I want so I can direct this hitchhiker film one of these days. Um, I love collaboration. I love it in a way that I never thought I was going to before. And just giving up control, um, as a filmmaker was really weird but now I'm super comfortable with it and uh, I'm totally happy just kind of sitting around the table and just letting the ideas come and then your job as director. And again, this isn't for every single project, like, right. um, but for, you know, like if we were going to, if somebody came up to us and said, I've got 20 grand and I want you to go make a movie, I feel super, super comfortable saying, all right, well, I'm going to pull these creative folks who are on the same kind of wavelength we're going to sit around, we're going to make a movie and we're going to make it great. And we're going to make your money back and, uh, you know, give us a month to do it. I feel like the only way to do that is by, by opening yourself up to allow other people's creative visions to kind of merge with your own. Hmm. And then, you know, you just finesse things and you have to have the confidence and the kind of understanding on like, what is a good idea that's going to help you and what is not. And I, I feel like that comes from experience and, and from the gut, you kind of just follow it. What do you do like when you get into like a, a disagreement with someone and it's just like 
like how do you mediate a situation where it's just you can't change that person's mind about a certain idea well um i guess two thoughts on that is one if you can't change their mind then you don't have a fully articulated concept yet okay um so if you can't discuss it or you can't uh verbalize why it should be a certain way over or the other way um then maybe take it take a break take five minutes and then come at it and talk it over again and see if that gap in time has allowed you to kind of rethink things okay uh and then the other one is that there's even if you're being super super collaborative and you're being very kind of open and that's everybody's creative you know passions are being respected here uh there should be a pecking order with things um and if you if you turn down people's ideas you just don't do it in a dickish way like you need to encourage mm-hmm. like i want like a pa on my set to be able to have the confidence of going like what if you did this and if i say no or like hey sorry we can't like just understand i'm not you know like just i appreciate you putting your input and i don't want to like put the shut the door in your face but like i'm saying no because i'm there's probably a good reason for it right um whereas like if the dp and i are having a conversation on on lighting or the way we want to frame something in the end of the day it should come down to me but at the same time if i I recognize when somebody's got a better idea than mine. Like the the goal is making the best movie possible, right? And so, like, you have to trust everybody's experience, and you have to trust that they're coming from it from a particular point of view. But if you have something very strongly, or something in your mind that you you feel very strongly about, there's a pecking order. So. Okay. Um, going back on like you kind of touched on this a little bit ago. Um, how does location kind of influence how something like a project you're working on gets created? Is that, is there some sort of like based on the area that since you've been, you know, a couple different places, mm. um, has it really changed how you approach a, a project? Um, not really, but it's funny, like this, this pilot, the wake, um, I wrote that, originally when I was living in London and I'd always intended it to be, there's a lot of water symbolism and rust symbolism mm. throughout the story. And I always wanted it to just be in an unnamed rust belt city with a lot of hills, a lot of rivers and like a cluster of like a downtown mm-hmm. and some like rich areas and poor areas and a nice reservoir with a good view. And then I moved to Pittsburgh and I'm like, holy shit. Like I didn't even like think like <laughs> I never intended this to be Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh's absolutely yeah. perfect for it. Um, the idea that there's a million, million dollar views in the city. It doesn't like, there's some neighborhoods that are super, super rough and yet they've got like the most amazing views. Like that kind of all feeds into this story. Um, so had I written it, if I grew up in Pittsburgh and I wrote the story, it probably would be significantly different than me coming up with a story when I lived somewhere else and then finding the characters that I like and finding how it all connects in my head and then happening on the perfect city for it. Whereas if I, if I wrote it about Pittsburgh, growing up here, I probably would have written a bit more like a, like a love story to Pittsburgh. Like Pittsburgh is, uh, like this is a story about Pittsburgh, which yeah. it's not. I don't want to mention the city at all. It's just I, it needs to be kind of like an everyday, like a just a town. Yeah. See, I kind of think the same way when I'm writing because I know a lot of people they like to like, really take pride in the city and like write it into their mm. you know into their scripts or whatever but i like i like to keep it ambiguous when mm. i'm doing writing because i feel like it like 
then more people can like kind of connect to it, mm-hmm. you know. On a, well, on there a is something level. to be said about like, um, oh, what do they say? Specificity? Uh, I can't even speak. Yeah. Um, but like, the more specific you get, the more universal it is, uh, which is an interesting concept. Oh, really? But I mean, it's just something people say. Uh, oh, okay. But <laughs> whether or not it's true is uh, up for debate, I guess. Um, but so, for example, I feel like the city within my story has its own personality. It's really, um, there's a lot of changes going on. There's a lot of uh, issues with gentrification and uh, all these things that are specific to my story. But it just so happens that a city like Pittsburgh is going through similar issues. Um, So that I didn't want, I guess I wouldn't have wanted the personality of Pittsburgh to overshadow the personality of this nameless city that I wrote in my pilot. Uh, whereas if I had grown up here my entire life, I probably would have informed it in a completely different way. Okay. So, like I, I'm, I'm writing. One of the ideas I have is writing a a story that takes place in like Kiev, and it's just like I've never been to Russia or to Ukraine, um, and uh, I know nothing about it. But this particular story should I feel like it needs to take place out in there. So I'm doing a lot of research, reading up a, a lot, trying to watch more Russian films. Um, just kind of get more of an idea, but like, uh, locations, I don't know. I think locations are important to keep in mind, but, um, I'm not going to be self-funding this. So I'm just writing it as something that I can hopefully one day get a couple million dollars to go make. Yeah. Um, there's a, for the wake, one of the things I'm doing is working with, um, trying to build a bit of a collaborative group of people who want to write stories for an anthology um, that all kind of take place before the events of the pilot. Uh, and they all take place in the same same city as the pilot. Kind of deal with the same issues of gentrification and uh, kind of institutional racism and all the, all the stuff that we want to cover there. Um, what we want to do, though, is write those to locations that we know we can get because we want to be able to get back to it if we if we decide in episode five that oh we should do a pickup shot that you know would be somebody else's point of view from an event from episode one or whatever we want to know that we can get that location again whereas if i'm writing a pilot that i want to shop to like hbo or whatever hopefully to get a million dollars to go film i'm not caring so much about like the specific location i can imagine a location in my head rather than have to find a location right around it Right. Um, and then the other thing about writing this kind of anthology series, it was really interesting. It's the first time in a long time that I can remember where I actually got really, really super excited to like sit down and write a storyboard or like, you know, draw a storyboard or write like a shot list. Um, thinking in terms of shots uh, as a director is, is something I don't do nearly as much. Like, mm-hmm. usually I'm a producer who happens to be directing. Uh, with the 48 hours, like, it's nice to have a producing partner, but I can never fully take off my producer hat. Right. For my feature films, like, I didn't have a monitor. Like, you're not a director if you don't have a monitor. It's just, <laughs> right. just the way it goes. Um, so I feel like I've finally gotten to the point that I can, I need to, you know, I have want to have a producing partner who's there to just, like, work with me from prep day one until shoot day, and then the moment shoot day happens, I'm just not a producer anymore. I'm not worried about, is food going to be here? Uh, I'm not worried about if somebody's going to show up on time. Like that has to be on somebody else's shoulders, uh, and I can just focus on my storyboards, and my shot list, and you know, yeah, get the show that I want to make. Yeah, you brought up something interesting in that um, uh, about location. 
um, that made me think, what, um, like how much experience, if you're, if you're writing something, say for a very, for a specific location, like you mentioned Kiev mm. or, um, say I'm, I've been working on a story that takes place, um, in like a, a hotel in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, is it called the Florida project? <laughs> no, but, um, what, uh, what is, um, like how much, how much do you have to like sort of experience or how much like when something has like a cultural influence, like your story has sort of like a, a certain cultural influence to it or, you know, based on location, something like that, like how much of it do you, how important is it for you to sort of experience that firsthand or when, when is it the right time to experience that firsthand? Like in terms of like when you're writing a story based around that, like, is it, is it important or does it depend on each different? I don't think it's that important. Okay. Yeah. I think that if it's, um, so this particular story, I've sort of put it on the back burner. I've, I've never had a short shortage of like story ideas and I kind of get really excited about different things at different times. But this one I really want to do one because I'd love to uh, to go to Ukraine. You okay, know, be a fun like holiday or working holiday. Um, so that was one idea behind it. And then the other one is um, it's a story about a guy and his his Ukrainian fiance who are going to visit her family for Christmas. And the idea is that he speaks English. English is her second language. He doesn't speak Russian. Uh, her cousins and her really big extended family, like there's one or two English speakers there, but the rest of it is just him listening to people talking in Russian with no subtitles. And his, he's got like this translator app that breaks and his phone breaks, whatever. Then it turns into this like, uh, straw dogs kind of assault film. And he has no fucking clue what's happening. And everybody else who speaks English gets killed. And so he's just in the middle of this, like, um, uh, Hatfield McCoy straw dogs situation and he's in a, on, on the other side of the world and I'm just like oh that'd be a really fun film to do yeah and so I've studied a bit in terms of like terrain and geography and you know where I'd like to set it and like some remote like hunting cabin but like other than that I don't think I need to do a ton like I'm not uh it doesn't need to be uh, like authenticity is great but like and I'd love to hire just, like, Russian actors who, you know, maybe they speak English, maybe they don't. Like, right. they're good actors locally. Um, but when you're writing the script, I think that you need to write what excites you. And if it excites you to, like, bog down in details, then great. That's good. Um, I like to think of that as a rewrite issue. Uh, I would think that it would be important for me to scout sometime after we get the funding, but before we start shooting, we should go there and like start actually prepping and then do another rewrite on the script once you kind of understand your locations a bit better uh, or the talent that you're working with or, or whatever else. So uh, there's always going to be something that inspires you while you're on a location that you didn't think about when you're sitting in your room writing. So I think, um, having, yeah. you know seeing a location and feeling the environment and like smelling the air like that's going to change your script in some way it's, it would be impossible not to i think yeah i think you kind of touched on it a little bit before but um 
have you ever had like how how much is like being at a location influenced like a story for you like how like if, if you've visited like, oh uh, all the time I, uh, yeah yeah i love uh, so one thing uh when i left london which is probably five years now which is just absolutely insane um i'd had this idea for a lighthouse thriller thing okay. and this year obviously with the lighthouse coming out it's kind mm-hmm. of topical um but the idea was that uh it starts out as kind of like a dark night e kind of heist at the beginning and it's this foggy day in like somewhere in scotland and this like group of people is raw they're robbing something like whether it's a jewelry store or a bank or whatever uh and they they run out and it's foggy they get on this boat they're going all they want to do is pilot this boat to the other side of a bay where a guy is waiting in a van and they hop in the van they drive off and that's their heist but you know it's foggy somebody gets shot somebody gets maybe they get kidnapped somebody and the boat goes off course and they get lost for days on end and then they end up at this lighthouse and then it turns into like a lord of the flies Mm. thing yeah uh and so like that's the concept is like two-thirds of the movie is just these people divided into different groups and trying to survive on this like outcropping so the idea is great but then um i mean whether or not you think it's great or not but like in my head it's like oh this is a really good concept for a film uh didn't go anything anywhere with it. I didn't really um, bog down it, or like I didn't like settle in and read books on lighthouses or anything like that. But I did visit my sister-in-law up in this tiny remote island called Fair Isle up in up in Scotland. It's like twenty-five miles from the nearest body of you know other landmass. Uh, we got fogged in for like four days. Like our flight back to America was on Thursday. We were supposed to leave this island on Friday, but we didn't get off the island until Tuesday. So, like, we almost missed our flight back to America because the fog just rolled in when we leave. Yeah. And you go to the north side of the island, there's this amazing lighthouse that just has this spectacular view, and it's super creepy because you can't see 10 feet in front of your face. Wow. But you can hear these birds all around you that are in, like, these yeah. caves and, the like, oh. the cliffs. And I'm like, within, like, the four days that we were fogged in there, I was every day just pounding out story notes for this lighthouse yeah. thing. So now I know exactly how I want to film it, and... Uh, I did learn, like, they, we couldn't get a flight off the island, so I had to take this little, like, this boat over really choppy, like, North Seas water for, like, four hours and got seasick. And I'm like, all right, I don't know if I want to write this script now. Like, I don't yeah. know if I could film anything on a boat. Um, but, yeah, I think being at a location is very helpful, but it's not everything. So yeah. If that's a long way of answering that question. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, kind of on the flip side of that thing... Um, I see on like social media a lot you post like you know movies that you're watching mm. and stuff like that. So um, because I have a terrible terrible memory, and, uh, <laughs> everyone's probably going like, "Oh, what was that movie I loved?" And I can at least turn to my Instagram. Like, oh yeah, that was it. Um, how much of like what you consume, like other media that you mm. consume, it also like as opposed to like real world experiences, how much does that influence like what you do or? I, I feel pretty fairly uh, easy to influence. Um, usually, I, like when I was um, when I was living in LA, my roommates just were all film people and we were watching movies all the time. Right. And um, you know, there's a library right next to my house that we can go and get ten movies at a time. So we just like when we're not working, we we grab a movie, watch a movie a day or two movies a day, and yeah. and I would try to like lump certain types of movies together if I if I want to get in the right frame of mind to make like hurricane emma i was just watching a ton of like mumblecore films and no budget like art house things mm. um and the concept for hurricane emma from a like my directorial 
um, I guess, stance in it is like, what if Michael Haneke was directing a mumblecore film? And so I watched a lot of Michael Haneke films, and I watched a lot of mumblecore films, and then I just jumped into it. And you know, like, so I think it's important to to be influenced. Uh, generally speaking, I think it's a good you know idea to watch right. a lot of movies from a lot of different you know genres and try to be open minded about things. Like, is there a certain approach, like certain individuals that really like or movies that really speak to you or that you continuously reference when you do certain projects um i don't think there is um i don't think there's any like one particular film but whenever i'm making a movie i try to keep in mind the movies that would be similar that yeah were successful um there's certain filmmakers that I never stop talking about, like uh, Michael Haneke's one of them. He's an Austrian. Um, I mean, he won an Oscar for White Ribbon a couple okay. years ago, and uh, very, very, very bleak films. I'm a big fan of watching them, but I don't watch them very often because I have to be in the right mind frame. Right. Um, I'm a huge Jim Jarmusch fan. He's just a filmmaker that I feel like our sensibilities and our sense of humor are very similar. Um, uh, Yorgos uh, Lanthimos, I think, if I pronounce his name right. He did uh, Dogtooth was my first one, is and it was phenomenal. But he did The Favorite, which you know was really good. Came out a couple years okay. ago. The Lobster. So there's certain filmmakers that I that I love, and there's um, you know certain actors that I really, whenever they do something, I'd like to go out and see it. Um, I was about to say Joaquin Phoenix. I didn't see The Joker, but. Um, absolutely loved you were never really here which is my favorite movie of the year before um and it seems like it's a very similar character to the joker yeah. um so yeah i like to be influenced i i when i've so uh with the wake one thing that i'm cognizant cognizant i can't even speak tonight one thing i'm aware <laughs> of <laughs> is that um people are gonna read it or hear me pitch about it or pitch it or they're gonna watch it and go oh he's ripping off the wire and i deliberately didn't watch the wire for about six years until I'm done with the pilot. I'm like, I'm not going to watch it. Everybody's telling me I have to watch Wire, so I won't watch The Wire until I'm done with the pilot. Okay. And then I finished the pilot, and so what we did immediately after that was to watch all five seasons, and I'm like, motherfucker stole all my ideas. Like, <laughs> the themes of it are identical. The title is very similar. Like, oh, everything no. about it is just the same. And I'm like, you know what? I've got to, I'm going to push forward with it, knowing that people are going to say, I ripped off the wire. Yeah. Um, but I'm like, you know what? Uh, I feel like it's a good concept. I feel like I, I nailed it. And um, it's a shame that somebody nailed it 20 years before I did. Um, but in the thumbing, or the uh, Hitchhiker script that I wrote like I remember I was in a screenwriting class and um somebody read it and they're like oh you just ripped off on the road and like on the road is probably a book that I would love to read but now 20 years later I still haven't touched it because I haven't made it. <laughs> so like it, that's just kind of my personality is like I understand I, I love being influenced I don't want to be in a position where somebody said I ripped off something yeah like, I think those are two totally different things um well that's but, yeah. you know, what can you do? Like, everything's been made. You just kind of have to filter stories yeah, through, your own, through was, your own lens, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, like, everything... Like, there's not really many original ideas anymore. Yeah. I don't worry at all about originality. Okay. I do worry about voice, though. I think those are two totally different things. So I think originality is a myth. And I think voice is what makes you you. 
So if you gave the same script to 10 different filmmakers, they're going to be 10 different movies. Right. And so, like, have your voice and, and, you know, learn who you are and what you want to do, and that'll inform the decisions that you make while you're making your movie. Okay. Cool. Um, how does, like, different media outside of movies, did, did um, like, do they influence you in different ways that, say, other movies would? Probably. Um, I mean, I don't... I know Pittsburgh's got a thriving, like, theater district, but I don't, don't go to plays very often. Um, I love music. I like building playlists for movies but i don't build playlists for writing scripts i know a lot of people Mm -hmm. like to write to music yeah uh whereas what i do is when i'm working on my house or i'm painting a room or you know whatever i'm driving around um i'll compile like i'll put songs into different playlists for potential use in these films okay but i don't write scripts to music or anything like that okay um we worked on a project was it about three years ago now probably i think it was around 17 um what was your role in that i don't even remember yeah (laughs) that was so long ago um i feel like i was an ad on that okay um yeah i kind of stepped away from film work for a while uh while i was trying to finish off my film um so i wasn't doing like i wasn't being hired out to go work on films for a while Um, but yeah, that was, that was when I first kind of moved to Pittsburgh, maybe like a year within the first year of me living here. Um, it was really nice to meet a lot of crew members, but I think my job on that was AD, which is something I I really like. Um, but the parameters have to be right with that. I think that, um, AD work is so stressful that if you don't have, yeah, if there's, if there's a good producer and the director has the experience and like understands what an AD needs to know like do you have a shot list can you sit down can you actually sit and write a shot list um then i'll be willing to do ad work um but if it's just a director and the ad is expected to be a producer as well and everything else and i'm not a big fan yeah um how did um how'd you end up i don't remember if you mentioned how'd you end up in pittsburgh a big fan of shitty weather uh, and, <laughs> and crappy public transportation um, we, so I was living, I grew up in Utah. I moved down to California, not necessarily for any reason other than to get out of Utah. Yeah. Um, always knew I wanted to be a filmmaker, but never really had any interest in going to LA. But my buddy from college grew up in a town called Barstow and, um, he's just like, fuck it, let's go. And so we, we packed up our vehicles and drove to LA. Um, from there I kind of like bummed around the country for a bit. I traveled a lot, like lived out of my van and okay. hopped on Greyhound buses. So I, I knew Pittsburgh because my best friend from high school went to University of Pittsburgh out here. And so oh. I, I kind of had my quarter-life crisis on his couch in Oakland um, and, you know, just drank a bunch of yingling and, you know, just spent three months here and finally did a bunch of, like, uh, medical studies to make some money so that I can go back to California so yeah. I can afford it. Um, <laughs> And then, uh, yeah, at some point I got finally got fed up enough valet to leave, and I, I moved to Salt Lake for a bit, on um, you know near where I grew up, I hung out with family for a year, and then moved out to Portland. Uh, at that point, I thought I was going to live in Portland forever, um, but my girlfriend at the time, she was British, uh, we got really really fed up of uh, seeing each other like twice a year, 
and we're like, we should probably get married so we can hang out a little bit and see if we want to, if we want to stay married. Yeah. Uh, and so we were going to stay and, and get married in Portland. Um, but then she got accepted to a university up in Scotland and asked me if I want to move up there. So I kind of just packed up and went. Oh, wow. Um, lived in Scotland for a year, lived in London for about four, and then wanted to get some sunshine, moved back to L.A. for a bit. And then by then, we're like, all right, and sorry, again, roundabout story, but you're going to get it. Uh, so we landed in L.A. and spent about eight months there. And we we're going to move up to Portland, but it was just way too expensive at that point. Like, it just exploded. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. So at that point, we pulled out a big map of the U.S. We kind of crossed off from the Mason-Dixon line, and I said, I just can't live the swampy heat of the South and in the desert. Like, it's not my thing. Uh, and then we kept looking up, like, top 10 whatever cities and top 10 beer cities or top 10, like, whatever. And Pittsburgh was always in these top 10 lists. And we're like, oh, I know Pittsburgh a little bit. Like, let's go check it out. And then we came out here for a week. We found a house we liked, and we decided to, to move out. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you were actually just like doing process of elimination. A lot of it. And yeah, what can we afford? We wanted to be East Coast, so it'd be easier to kind of fly back and forth to the UK. Yeah. Um, so that was a big part of it. Like, if it was up to me, we would have stayed. If it was up to me, I would have gone to uh, to Portland instead of LA when I graduated high school. Yeah. Um, like, if I can make any change in my life, that would be it. Right. Um, and then, you know. Cascadia would be great. That's kind of like Northern California, mm. um, you know, that area up Vancouver. Like, I love Pacific Northwest, um, but it's just kind of too expensive and, and too far away. Like, it's a hell of a flight to yeah. go back to England. Uh, and then New York's too expensive, Boston's too expensive. But then Pittsburgh is just, it's a nice little town. Like, it's 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 got everything you need. Uh, it's got terrible traffic. Um, but it, the cost of living is great, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and it feels like a, a big city at times, and it feels like a small town at times, depending on where and when you are. That's true. You kind of so. get the best of all the worlds, like combined yeah. in the one. Yeah, like I say, there's so many million dollar views out here as well. It's great. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and it's just like it seems like it's just, it's a good mixture of culture as well. Mm. So you're kind of just getting a little bit of everything in there. Yeah. Yeah, and it seems to be changing quite a bit as well, like demographics and things. And, um, you know, it's great that there's so many young people here who are going to college and now they're actually able to stay. Whereas before it seemed like people would graduate, but there wasn't industry here. And I didn't move here for the film industry, but it turns out it's vibrant. Like, um, you know, like last year in particular, it was just nonstop all year. I think I got out of my job at a good time and and fell in with a a crew that was constantly working. Um, We'll see how it goes this year, if they can get some tax tax write-offs and get some more big productions in would be great yeah 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 it's such a kind of a, a moving you know always these moving parts in mm-hmm. there and you just like a lot of ambiguity with it from the yeah. way it sounds but it also depends on you know at least from my experience and the people that i know like who you know and mm-hmm. you know what groups you get into exactly yeah i think um just like in LA, just like anywhere else, like if you're not available for one project, you can be replaced pretty quickly. I feel right. Like that happened a bit on my last thing because I was off doing something else. But um, it's a small town. If you if you're not a dick and you work hard, like you're gonna you're gonna be in high demand at some point. But very few people around here year round full time film people. Right. Um, they do exist, but um, you know, I mean, it's 
it has its ebbs and flows and it's one of the like i don't like freelance at all i love um working on films i would do pro bono work and work for free if i could all the time just like find people you want to work with and do it yeah um but unfortunately we all have to pay bills and things and and one thing that pittsburgh has over like la is the bills are a lot cheaper rents a lot cheaper right so that's one thing you know it gives you a bit more flexibility and freedom in terms of what projects you take on yeah yeah i i started off i was doing a lot of freelance stuff but then it just like became like it was it was too much time for like it was i didn't want to dedicate all that time mm-hmm. to like you know doing that kind of job and it also it was just like um i wasn't getting to where i wanted to be with it so but i still like to do it like as more more or less like a hobby but mm. you know i'll do things here and there and it's you know it's enjoyable for me now now that i just like i found like sort of like the right place where i feel like you know i'm not stressed out or overworked with mm. it and but i'm still like i still get to enjoy it as a passion that's good yeah i i find that um when i was in LA and I was working all the time you can't there's no time to write there's no time to like enjoy yourself or watch movies or whatever you especially as a production designer on no budget films right. I was working like 24 hour like I haven't I couldn't tell you how many 24 hour shifts I've pulled the yeah. longest day I've ever worked was 46 hours and so I'm just like I'm burnt out I'm over it I hate this whole industry yeah um, but then when I lived in London I was too tired like every time I moved to a new city you start from the ground up and about six months later people ask me to produce and you know it just kind of kept doing that until i got to london then it's just too expensive you can't you know you don't you can't leave your apartment without like throwing 50 quid out and right it's just you know you, you can't really do it as a hobby or I, I was very unsuccessful doing it as a hobby um but i did find a job i liked with people i liked and uh hours that worked for me and i was able to wake up an hour earlier and just do an hour of dedicated writing every day which i had never done before up until that point yeah and then when i got home i hung out with my wife for a little bit had dinner we'd watch a show or whatever and then before bed i'd spend an hour to two hours being a producer emails and you know whatever else i needed to do buying equipment and that worked that worked pretty well we you know i, I fell in with i created a little crew that i liked um that we had we we're all storytellers but I was the producer, like the actual like um, production guy. And then one of my buddies was just, he's a writer and he writes commercials. So he's really good at writing short content and uh, doing it quick and high quality. And then my other buddy was a visual effects guy. He works on Star Wars and all these, you know, big oh, ass cool. films that wow. go through London. Um, so the three of us just kind of like teamed up and we said, all of us are storytellers. Each of us have an area that we focus on and that we're really good at. Um, let's just kind of meet up once a week, have some beers, come up with some short films and start kicking them out. Uh, and we did one that I think it's on my website. It's not great. It's called The Process. And it's it's funny. It's just a little like thing that we shot in about six hours in an office. It looks really good. Um, but it was the icebreaker for us. It's like we need to just do a broad comedy that we can all just not be too passionate about, but let's like go and see how we work together. Yeah. And then the next one we were going to do, uh, was going to be great. And we loved it. We're all very excited for it, but we had to build this special set for it. And that's when my wife's visa came through and it's all of a sudden it's just like, sorry guys, I'm leaving. Uh, uh, and luckily that film ended up getting made. It's called benefits. You can see it. Uh, it was made by channel four, which is, um, one of the big networks in the oh, UK. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
so it's on the website. It's, um, they kind of did like this short, like four or five ver- uh, minute version, whereas our script I think was like eight or nine uh, pages. Um, and you know they did a really good job. This guy Edward Lomas was supposed to be our DP, and then after I moved to the UK or moved back to the US, he emailed me. He's like, I kind of want to re- still make this. Do you mind if I direct it and pitch it around? And he ended up getting funding, and it's you know it's good. It's really kind of black mirrory, which I like. Oh, so, cool. Yeah, check it out. Very cool. Um, any other projects you want to kind of promote um, that we didn't really get to? Oh, man, um, no, not really. Nothing that's. I'm, I'm still trying to get this like anthology thing off the ground. Uh, trying to just meet meet other filmmakers who are interested in these kind of projects, and uh, hopefully, um, you know, hopefully I can start finding the time to shop this pilot around and see what yeah. happens. So, what do you? Th- uh, like what do you see beyond that did you have any ideas on plans or uh i try not to make plans anymore so <laughs> i'm a i'm a feature films guy yeah and feature films are dying and i'm an indie guy and indie films are dying um so it's one of those things that like uh i'll still make movies even if there's no audience for it because i'm compelled to be a filmmaker i don't mm-hmm. do it because i like it anymore i do it because i'm a, I'm a filmmaker and that's just kind of the way my brain works if you give me five minutes alone, I'm thinking about writing a story and how I'm going to film it. Um, so saying that, if nothing, if I don't go anywhere with this pilot, I'm going to be writing something else or I'll, I'll find another opportunity to get out and, and film stuff. So, How do you think things will change for you if like the industry makes another big change in technology or... Um, the way that we sort of see movies or consume movies? I couldn't tell you. Like, it depends <laughs> on the the, the yeah. change, but like the changes are happening. Um, right. The I think last thing I I read a while ago, six months or so ago, was that um, like the video game industry is just so much bigger than the film industry. Mm. And I'm like, huh. Yeah. I'm not a video game guy. Like I don't. I've got ideas for things that could be fun to do, but like I haven't. I don't know the first thing about writing for video games. Um, but yeah. I'm sure that that's a change that I can make. So maybe that's where it's going or, um, you know, uh, I'm not sure what other technology is out there that, um, is going to replace film, but I feel like with streaming services, one thing I do like, uh, I'm not all down on technology. I do love that series don't have to be like my wife's never watched lost and we're, we're getting into it now. She yeah. knows how much I enjoyed it. Uh, she bought me the big box set for my birthday and uh, I'm like, all right, well you have to watch a pilot with me. And she's like, okay, great. We'll sit down and just watch a pilot. And now like a month later, we've just finished season we're halfway through season three. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm just trying to like, I'm giddy about where it's going, but try not to spoil it for her. Um, but I would hate to write lost because it was 24 hours of network television for an un- unknown amount of time. But one thing that streaming services have done that I really, really love is that it's shortened. You can now do a miniseries. You couldn't do a miniseries 10 years ago. Like right. They just did not exist. Uh, whereas now, like if you come up with an eight-hour story, pitch it, Netflix will give you a million bucks to go make if you've got the end to have that. Like They're just fucking throwing money out like hand over yeah. foot. But you still have to get in the door somehow. So make your movie. Make it to the best of your ability. Make it true to your voice. Get it out there. And then hope that using that will get some doors open for you and then you can have pitch meetings and and just have a whole bunch of like projects in your back pocket have scripts written 
have concepts written, just have them available for when you do get those meetings. Right, right. Um, it's it's interesting how like creative media has like as it progresses, it's it's gotten easier to sort of find outlets, but at the same time, like the the advances in technology could also in certain ways and maybe this is just my thinking like make things harder for someone who is sort of ingrained into that process mm -hmm. and um you know their their workflow and all that and yeah i mean i couldn't tell you the first thing about um like how to make branded content for instagram or whatever like right people are making tons of money doing that and i'm like i couldn't tell you how right um there's people with great YouTube channels. There's people with terrible YouTube channels, but they have a million followers and each video has like 20 million views. And so they're obviously making money doing what they're doing. Terrible like production value or like content's not really interesting or the personalities aren't great. And yet they're doing it and they're finding success in it. And it's not to say that I couldn't figure out how to do it. I just, the amount of time and effort that it would take to to yeah. kind of redo Research, or reset what I'm doing and do yeah. something like approach it from another point of view. I'm like, it doesn't sound fun to me. And I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm to the point in my life. that I'm like, I just want to kind of have this creative release and I'd like to enjoy doing it. I don't yeah. want to feel like I'm, you know, I don't know. I feel like an old dog trying to learn a new trick. Yeah. You're like trying to keep yeah. up with yeah. the way things are, the way things you know are becoming mm. and I, I just don't follow like trends and another thing is like i don't chase camera technology like that's right i know a lot of filmmakers who the very first question like i hate going i worked at sundance for a couple of years and i've worked at a bunch of different film festivals and one of the things that always made me cringe was when we just got done watching this like film that somebody poured their soul into took them two and a half years or whatever from the time of conception to the time that we're sitting here in this room and, the, and they open it up to the audience for questions. And the very first question is, what camera did you shoot on? And it's just like, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, the yeah. camera is just one instrument out of Absolutely. a million. And it's just, yes, it's important, but it's like, it shouldn't be the first question you watch after right. like, seeing a premiere of somebody's movie. You know, I, yeah. I, I completely agree with that. Like, when people just, like, want you know, you to shoot something just based on, like, mm. what you're using or something mm. like that. That just, like, drives me up a wall. Because yeah. it's like, it shouldn't, that shouldn't matter. Well, I like, remember when Red Camera came out. It's probably 2005, 2007, something like that. And people were, like, bending over backwards to try to film on it. And I didn't really get it for some of the projects that we were doing. Like, why are we filming on this? Um, and then it turns out most of it was just to have some snazzy looking footage put on a demo reel and I didn't really understand the value of a demo reel that looked great for a long time and then like I said earlier like it was really tough for me to kind of come up with a concept for, yeah. to make one uh, like if I had one while I was living in London that was halfway decent I had opportunities to get hired as a director but I'm just like I don't know what the fuck to do with it like I don't know how to make my movies into a demo reel um, so there's definitely lost opportunities there so I get it if you want to get the coolest new technology in order to make this amazing looking thing in order to sell yourself as a director. Like, I get that. But that doesn't interest me as a producer at all. Like, I don't understand, right. you know, and from a story perspective, like, are you telling a story or are you just going out and getting cool shots? And again, like, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. Yeah. Um, because like you said, that's only like one part of it. Like yeah. it's you know there there are many components to it that sort of bring it together. So it's yeah. like it all shouldn't be 
focused on you know one piece of technology yeah. or do focus on sound well yeah, <laughs> yeah. sound is always important. Uh, but yeah that's but, true yeah but that's it like i think that as long as as long as uh it's in focus and people can hear what you want them to hear um then yeah. you know everything else should work its way out I actually but. was um re-editing like a compilation of some some of my older podcasts and um the uh one of the things we talked about like when we were making body farm was like how like we initially when we started out we didn't really have a sound guy and we were just kind of winging it and i like was like went to like the producer on the film and i was just like listen you need to get like a legit sound guy for this because this is like really important yeah like you're gonna you fuck shit up if, you can't yeah. just like you know fart around on it and you know, hope people for... will squint at the screen and try to figure out what visuals you like. Watch the lighthouse; like it's amazing yeah. cinematography, but it's sometimes really hard to watch. Um, but that's by design. Um, or like Blair Witch; like they just took what what they had available and they made it work. Uh, and also, that was you know they knew what their capacity was and and they went out and had fun with it. But it has to sound good; like it can't. Right. Like it doesn't have to sound super crisp and clean all the time just make sure you've got a competent sound person like put money into that yeah absolutely um as we just kind of like wind this down um where can people find more about you i think i believe you mentioned your website just uh what was that again um the website is alex casson at uh, alexcassonfilms.com okay um and then indie ground films is uh my production company you could find us on uh, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, we were on Twitter, but we've been hacked. I've tried to. Yeah, tried. I've been spending three weeks trying to get Twitter to reset my password. Uh, and I finally no. got an email yesterday saying, "We're sorry. You might want to just start a new account." Oh, so no. I'm figuring that's out if terrible. I want to go back to Twitter or not. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's basically Indie Ground Films, and um, you know, I rent out props and set dressing and um, costumes and tents and generators and shit so if you need anything give me a call cool um yeah you can find my contact info on my website at the end of my demo reel as well cool anything else uh you want to kind of throw out there before we uh wrap this up no not really i think we uh we talked a pretty good show here that was awesome yeah yeah Yeah. all right well thanks for stopping by cool thank you